How wonderful it is to have Ethan on the organ today, is it not? I uh, said to him, I said to him in the hallway, there's organ playing and then there's Ethan organ playing. I'll take his any day. If you have your Bibles, take them and turn with me to the book of 2 Timothy, the scripture that was read for us a few moments ago. That's going to be our landing spot uh, for this morning's teaching. Second um, Timothy chapter 1. As you're turning there, let me ask you this question. What are you afraid of? What's your fear? What's your phobia that you carry around with you? For me, it's bats. Not a big fan of the bat. I like Batman, but not bats. More precisely, I don't like bats in my house. That's not a fun thing for me. So picture, if you will, the scene of a bat flying around a house and me coming up the steps with a tennis racket in hand, goggles that you would wear to trim your lawn with, and gloves with a blanket over my head. That's how we got the bat out of our house. If you think that's a funny scene, you ask my wife about what she had to put on to get the bats out of our house. Now I'm well aware of the size difference between a bat and me. I get that. I don't need any emails about the proportion difference. I understand that. It's just they fly around and they're unpredictable and you don't know what they're going to do. And I don't know, I guess I watched too many Gilligan's Island episodes of that bat thing. For me, it's bats. What is it for you? I think we've all got fears. We've all got phobias. We all have our little idiosyncrasies that make us weird and bizarre. In 2006, a university in England was granted major funding by the European Union to study how fear and anxiety were formed in the brain. Maybe for you it's not bats. Maybe it's mice. Anybody afraid of mice? They scurry across your room and you are up on the couch, moving from couch to couch. You know who you are. Perhaps it's uh, triskaidekaphobia. Maybe that's what you suffer with. The fear of the number 13. Maybe it's paganophobia, the fear of beards. I'm not making this up. I've got the link. And with all apologies up front to our professionals who are here today, maybe you have dentophobia, the fear of dentists. Or maybe it's the fear of failure. Maybe it's the fear of the unknown. Maybe... It's the fear of rejection. I think in the church we have fears as well. As Christians, I think there are some common fears that attempt to grip us all at one time or another. The fear of of living out our faith, of actually living this, this faith that we read about and living out this faith that we sing about and living out this faith that we we uh, celebrate together as we worship in a big room on a Sunday morning. For some of us, there's fear in actually walking out these doors and living that out. It speaks to obedience. 
Some of us are afraid of standing up for our faith, not just living it out, but but actually standing up for it. When when people rise against us or we're in a difficult situation, we fear standing up for our faith. We fear the moment. We fear the situation. Speaks to courage and commitment. Some of us, we fear stepping out in faith. We know God is speaking to us. We know God is directing us. We know God is guiding us, but we're afraid to actually step out and do what He's asking us to do. In those moments, we fear risk. For some of us, it's the fear of sharing our faith, of actually verbalizing what is inside of us, this this love for God and this desire to live according to His plan. There's this fear that some of us have of actually sharing a good testimony, of actually witnessing to somebody when the door is open, when those opportunities present themselves. It's a fear of testimony and a fear of witness. In the early church, there was a a young pastor who, who could see all around him the challenges of leading people, the challenges of, of guiding a church that was filled with different issues and different problems. There was the challenge of seeing his contemporaries suffer physically for their beliefs and even killed for their faith. His name was Timothy. And his mentor was Paul. Paul wrote to him on, on a number of occasions trying to encourage him and, and challenge him and remind him that there was power within him to stand against his fears. That there resided within him power that he could live out in his everyday life that would, that would eat away the fears that he had, that would overshadow all those fears that were challenging him. There was power within to be lived out. Turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 1, beginning with verse 5. Listen to these words again. I have been reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you, through the laying on of my hands. For God did not give us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power and of love and of self-discipline. So do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord or ashamed of me, His prisoner, but join with me in His suffering for the Gospel by the power of God who has saved us and called us to a holy life. Paul recognizes in Timothy's life two things that have the potential to derail his faith, to derail his ministry and his reputation and with those that he works with. Fear and shame. Paul says to Timothy, I remind you, almost in a commanding tone, almost in a commanding voice, I'm reminding you of something that we've shared together in the past. This idea of of his reminding Timothy hearkens back to something that they shared together, an experience and an event where a commitment was made. And Paul speaks to him, I'm reminding you of that commitment. 
I'm reminding you of that, that thing that, that I saw with my own two eyes that you, that you gave your heart to. I want to remind you of your past commitments. And instead of your, your weakness, and instead of your fear, I want to remind you of what you've given your heart to and what you've given your lives to. Reminds them of an experience. He reminds them of a commitment. Much the way a coach would remind a player, much the way a parent would remind a child. Remember? If you clean your room, you get dinner. Not child abuse, I'm just saying. And like a coach, when he sees his team performing poorly, remember, this isn't how we run this play. This isn't how we do this activity. This isn't the right way of of performing. Remember, we've gone over this in the past. Remember how we do these things. I know you're facing a challenge that you didn't expect to face. I know you're walking in a situation you didn't expect to walk. I know that as you go out and you face the real opponent... That you will be found, that you will find things not that you, as you expected. And you will have to rise up against it. You don't face it with fear and shame. You remember what we practiced. You remember the commitment we made. You remember how we are to perform. And in a commanding way, Paul speaks to Timothy and says, remember. He says, fan into flame that gift that is within you. Fan into flame. It's the idea of stoking the fire. Many of us have probably had campfires or, or uh, uh, fires in our fireplace where we have to stoke the flame. We blow a fresh wind into it. We fan it so that it, it reaches its maximum potential. That's the idea that Paul is writing here to Timothy. Fan into flame. Reach the maximum potential that you have of this gift that is within you. Don't settle for for burned out embers or, or dying coals. Fan it into flame. Reach that maximum potential that you have. And he says, fan into flame the gift that was given to you. Notice it's not plural, it's singular. The gift. He is, he is reckoning back to the gift of the Holy Spirit that is deposited into his heart and in his life. This gift has been given to you to use in your life as you face challenges. This gift of the Holy Spirit, His power and His presence resides in you. The moment you say yes to Christ, the Holy Spirit lives within you, waiting, wanting, hoping that you would just turn to Him and say, I give myself to you. I give my control to you. I fan into flame the gift of the Spirit in my life. Not not my desires. I, I do not fan into flame my desires, my wants, my will. I fan into flame the gift of the Spirit who is within us. To maximize the potential. We live as Christ followers with the Holy Spirit, again, who is just wishing that we would release Him in our lives. 
He wants maximum potential in your heart if you will just turn your life to Him. If we're not reminded, as Paul reminded Timothy, if we're not reminded of the gift of the Holy Spirit, we become vulnerable to temptation. If we can't remember that the Holy Spirit resides within us to help us in the moment of temptation, to help us when those challenges come in our life, then we are vulnerable to give in. We are vulnerable to retreat from our faith, to cower in the face of opposition, to shrink away from those opportunities that God gives to us to speak truth in a loving and gentle way into the hearts of other people. And when times get hard and the future is unclear, we don't fan into flame the Holy Spirit that is within us. It becomes very easy to turn and to run, to go and hide. Now look at what Paul says to Timothy about the Holy Spirit. This gift that lives within him. In verse 7, For God did not give us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power, and of love, and of a sound mind. Fear is the, the state of lacking courage. Fear is this idea of lacking moral strength. God did not give us a spirit that saps our energy and saps our courage. God did not give us a spirit that takes away from our, our moral uh, ability to stand up under pressure. God gave us a spirit of power. Fear is not what God has given to us. Fear is not what has been placed in our hearts when we said yes to Christ. Fear is not what, what the Holy Spirit brings to the hearts of believers. The words of Paul here echo back to what Moses said to Joshua when Joshua was taking over command in Israel. And no doubt, Timothy, this young pastor at this local church, would have known what the, the, the Scriptures and would have remembered what Moses um, gave to Joshua in that challenge and handing over the baton. And, and Timothy would have remembered what God said to Joshua in that moment. And he said this, Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. And again in Joshua 8.1, the Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Instead of fear, what the Holy Spirit brings to us is power. The word for power is dunamis in the Greek. It's where we get our word dynamite in English. It's explosive power. The power of God through the Holy Spirit that resides in our lives is explosive power waiting to be unleashed in every area of our lives. Dr. Towner writes that this power within us is a basic characteristic of God. And when Paul uses the phrase spirit of power, it's almost repetitious. When we speak of the spirit, we also speak of power. 
They are so interrelated and so connected. At least the early Christians would have understood this. And I would say to you that if, that if the words spirit and power are synonymous, then when we understand we have the spirit in our hearts, we understand that we have God's power in our hearts. Is there any greater power to have? Is there any greater power to call upon? God is all-powerful. The God who spoke a word and the universe was created. His power lives in your hearts. The God who spoke a word and turned darkness into light. That power lives in your hearts. God who spoke a word and man was created. His power lives in our hearts. And that power is available to us. But I think at times, sometimes we forget and we miss it. We too easily forget that God is the one of strength and might. We too easily forget the miracles that are done in the lives of people by God. We too easily forget and seldom reflect on how God has brought us through difficult circumstances and difficult situations. Well, we had encouragement from a friend and a gift at a special time and an unexpected blessing from those people who are around us in the community of faith. That's all well and good, but it comes from God. It is His life. It is His power that resides in you. We too seldom recall that God is the one who has led us from the unknown into the known with a promise of blessing. And I would submit to you this morning that when we forget God, we forget power. When we forget God, we forget power. We forget the explosive power that held back the waters of the sea so Israel could pass through. We forget the power of the cross to pay the price of sin. We forget the power of the resurrection to bring new life to believers. We forget the power to restore relationships. We forget the power to heal our bodies. We forget the power to fulfill our deepest longings. And when we forget God, we forget His power. Instead, we allow fear and uncertainty to creep into our lives and we give permission to fear to grab hold of us. We give permission of, to fear to guide our lives. We, we choose the course of our lives. We make decisions based on fear because we've forgotten the power of God. But imagine your life if you would submit yourselves to God's power and what He would do R.A. Torrey writes, uh, the author of the book I recommended in the first message, The Person and Work of the Holy Spirit. R.A. Torrey writes that being filled with the Holy Spirit is not primarily intended to make believers happy, but to make them useful. The gift of the Holy Spirit is not primarily to make people happy, but to make them useful in the kingdom. Now, joy and happiness are a natural byproduct of the Holy Spirit being active 
and moving and participating in our lives. That's a natural outflow, but that's not the primary point. The primary point and emphasis of the Holy Spirit having control of our lives is to make us useful in the kingdom. I think we have too many churches that are filled with Christians across America where we just want to be happy. We just want to be joyful. I just want to be content. That's not God's promise. God's promise is power. God's promise is peace. In the middle of very dire circumstances, in the middle of fear, in the middle of challenges, in the middle of the unknown, the power and the presence of God is available to His people, not to make us happy, but to make us useful for the kingdom. We want to be used by God? Submit to His power. And as we submit to His power, the natural byproduct of joy and happiness in our life rises within us. And we have unexplained, inexpressible joy in the midst of what we go through. It was written even of Jesus. Luke chapter 4, verses 14 and 15. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. And news about Him spread through the whole countryside. Then He taught in their synagogues. Jesus didn't even begin his, his, his ministry of teaching until the Holy Spirit was upon Him in power because then He was useful to build His kingdom. Then He could go out and teach. Then He could go out and people would hear Him because the Spirit was making Him useful. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus Jesus says this to His disciples before He's ascended into heaven following the resurrection. Jesus said, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be My witnesses. Not fear. Not discouragement. You will receive power. And you will testify to Me. You will be a witness to My work because of the power of the Holy Spirit that is within you. Going back to Paul's encouragement to Timothy, Toner notes the link between the supply of God's power and the experience of sufficient boldness for ministry. When we realize the power that is within us, not only can we stand against temptation, not only can we give a good testimony, not only can we be confident when the future is unclear, but we can live with a boldness for every need that we have. We can live with boldness our Christian life. We can live this life of faith with boldness in our communities and among the people that we interact. Acts chapter 4 verse 8 says this, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them. It wasn't until he was filled with the Spirit that he was released to teach. He was released to to speak these words to the crowds that had gathered. It was the Holy Spirit within him that was guiding him and giving him boldness. In Acts chapter 4, verse 31, when they had prayed, the place where they assembled together was shaken, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the Word of God with boldness. And with great power, verse 33, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Our usefulness in the kingdom 
to teach and to speak truth and to, to, to stand in the, in the face of the enemy comes from the power of the Holy Spirit within us. And we need not be afraid because He will supply us with boldness for that moment. In Acts 13, verse 9, it says this, Then Saul, who is called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently to the person that he had to speak to. Boldness is what we need in our lives. I think too many of us are chicken. I think too many of us at times look at our life and look at our faith and look at the world that we live in and look at the influences that are around us and we're just plain chicken. I don't have the Greek word for that, by the way. Aren't we? Let's just admit it. I am at times just chicken. Scared. Afraid. And it's in those moments where I have to say, Holy Spirit, give me the words to say. Holy Spirit, please guide me. Please teach me. Holy Spirit, please give me boldness for this moment. That's for all you linear thinkers that really need a a path of what to pray. I think it's as simple as that at times. Holy Spirit, give me the words. Holy Spirit, give me the strength to resist this temptation. Give me boldness to say no. One of my favorite quotes about boldness comes from Andy Stanley, who's a pastor in Atlanta, son of Charles Stanley. He says this, Boldness is not volume. Boldness is not volume. We don't need to stand and shout at the top of our lungs the truth of Christ to the people that are around us. We just need boldness to speak the right words at the right time in love. We had our small group last night and we were with our friends and, and one of the ladies in our group was, was telling us a, a story about um, how she needed to um, speak with a coworker to right a wrong that somebody else had done. And she was worried about it and she had some fear and she understood she needed boldness in that moment to speak truth, to speak God's truth to this coworker. She needed boldness. She didn't need volume. She didn't need to walk into her office and scream at the top of her lungs. She just needed boldness to say the right thing at the right moment in the right way. I think too often we confuse volume and histrionics with genuine boldness. Godly boldness does not necessitate a raise in volume, but a reliance on the Holy Spirit in your moment of need. Godly boldness is a reliance on the Holy Spirit in your moment of need. For Timothy, his need was courage. And the power of God through the Holy Spirit was his source of courage. He says, So do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord or ashamed of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. 
And of this gospel I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. That is why I am suffering as I am. Yet I am not ashamed, because I know whom I have believed and am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted him to that day. Are we convinced that God is able to guard the things that are most precious to us? Can we live in confidence? Can we live in power and without fear? In your personal life, do you trust the power of God to guard what is important and to guard what is valuable? Or is there fear? Do we as a church trust the power of God to guard this ministry and keep us moving forward in the future? Or do we live with fear? The Holy Spirit is not one of fear. The Holy Spirit is one of power. Available to each and every one of us. May we trust Him. Let's pray. Father, we ask in these moments that You would help us to live with power. Not to live with fear. Not to give in to the unknown. But God, to give complete control to the Holy Spirit for the direction of our lives. And would you, Holy Spirit, help us as a body to walk in power. in the days that are ahead. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.